Well, I have to tell you, when my girls were just little girls, we used to go on vacation every summer um, out to Lake Winoka in Brown County uh, with her, my sister and her family. And one of the highlights of our week every year was making the trip into the bustling metropolis of Georgetown, Ohio, <laughs> where we would eat lunch at the Pizza Hut, and then we would go to the Pamita Discount Department Store that was right across the parking lot. Um, as I'm saying this out loud, I'm thinking, man, no one could really ever accuse us of taking extravagant vacations back in the day, right? But what we would do as we went to the Pamita Discount Department Store was we'd give each of our three girls and my niece and my nephew who are with us about five bucks and they could pick out any toy they wanted in the toy aisle at the Pamita Discount Department Store. <laughs> and I can tell you, they would take the longest time looking at every single toy in that aisle, trying to make up their mind, weighing their options. I remember one time, one of my girls couldn't decide. She had narrowed her selection down to two items, but she wanted them both, okay? However, both of those toys together added more up to more than the five bucks that she had burning a hole in her pocket. And so after a long time of trying to convince me to let her have both of them and me telling her no, she finally said, but daddy, I want both of them. And in a brilliant display of dadness, I broke out into song right there in the Pamita Discount department store toy aisle into that Rolling Stones classic, you can't always get what you want. You know it, you can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want. But if you try sometime, you just might find you get what you need, right? Yeah. Well, I thought it was such a great dad move that I used that classic over and over again in my skillful parenting for lots of years after that. I can only hope that my kids are using that same tactic on their kids. But if there's one thing that I've learned over the years since then is that grandparents hardly ever sing that song, right? Can I get an amen? I mean, it's like if one of them comes up to me right now, it's like, Poppy, could I have that toy? It's like, yes, grandbaby, you certainly can. Let Poppy get that for you. <laughs> well, lots of us, even as adults, think that there are things that we absolutely want, that we absolutely have to have, but we don't really need. There are some things that we want that we know we're never going to get anyway. But here's the thing. Biblically speaking, you can always get what you want. And what I mean by this is, is that, what I mean by that is this. That the more we learn to align our hearts with God's heart, the more our wants begin to align with the thing that God wants and longs to give us anyway. Oh, we might still pray for things. We might still seek things. We might still work for some things that will never come to pass. But in the end, we learn to be content with God, whatever God has decided for our lives. And this may be a different way for us to understand contentment. The psalmist writes in Psalm 73, verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? 
and there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. Abraham understood this, and it allowed him to stand down when he faced a conflict with Lot. Now remember, Abraham had been called by God to leave his home in Ur and relocate far away to the land of Canaan. He did that with his family, which included his nephew Lot, whose father, Abraham's brother, had died. And they took all their possessions with them. And after a while of settling and living in the land of Canaan, there came to be a famine in Canaan. And there wasn't enough food and water for Abraham and his family and all of their livestock. And so they heard that there was food down in Egypt. And so they went down into Egypt where there was food and water. And then finally, when the famine was over, they headed back to Canaan. Now let's pick up with today's passage. We're going to be hearing from Genesis 13. Let's begin in verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where, he, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great, and they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. Well, Abram and Lot had done very well for themselves. They had been blessed by God. Now, we learn earlier in Genesis 12 that Abram, Abraham left Haran with his wife Sarah, with his nephew Lot, and all their possessions that they had accumulated, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. But they seemed to have increased their wealth even more while they were down in Egypt during the famine. Because the Bible tells us that Abraham is now very wealthy with livestock, with silver, and with gold. Now animals were a source of great wealth in the ancient world. They could be traded for goods and services that you needed. They were used for food and for clothing. In that nomadic society, they were used for making tents. And they were also used for religious sacrifices. We are told that Lot had done pretty well for himself too. That he also had flocks and herds and tents. You know, many generations later, when Abraham's descendants came up out of the land of Egypt, after being there for 400 years enslaved, they also left Egypt with lots of wealth which they plundered from the Egyptians because after those ten plagues, the Egyptians wanted nothing more than to get those Israelites out of their country. Just go away. Take our jewelry. Take our money. Just get out of here and leave us alone. Now, silver and gold don't take up very much space, do they? They can be quite a lot of value in just quite a little bit of space. But you know what? Livestock, that's a different story, isn't it? 
Livestock take a lot of space. You need some acreage, some sizable acreage that produces enough food for your livestock to eat um, so they can be sustained. And of course, livestock need water too, and you've got to dig a well or have a well. Well water was really important in Canaan. Sometimes it was hard to come by. And so quarreling was quite common among the nomads in that area over pastures and wells for their livestock. So conflict arose between Abraham and Lot and between their herdsmen. And why? It was because of all the physical blessing they had. They had been given so much it actually became a problem. They possessed abundant flocks and servants and herds and this put a strain on the land and it caused strife to break out. Their possessions were so great that they were no longer able to stay together. Now, we usually think that more is better, right? I mean, that's a pretty common way for us to think. We think that, oh, if I just had more money or more time or more friends, that everything would be great. I'd be happier. I'd have peace. But this is hardly ever the case. Sometimes we put our own happiness on hold while we work hard to achieve some goal, and so we're not really happy then. We're just working hard. And then we achieve that goal, and it doesn't seem to be all that it was cracked up to be when we were when we hadn't gotten it yet. It's just not, we're never satisfied. A guy named Steve worked hard so that he could get the pro perfect promotion that he had always wanted. And he did get it, and he was psyched up. He was so happy that he finally got that achievement. He'd be making more money. He could afford a bigger house, a faster car. Only thing was, he found out that he started getting home a whole lot later than he used to in his old job and he didn't have time to enjoy that bigger house and that faster car like he thought he'd be able to and he had a whole lot more responsibility that made him anxious and stressed out and caused him to lose sleep and he didn't have the time that he wanted to spend with his wife and his kids anymore you know conflict can arise when we have too much so let's see how Abraham solved the conflict that was arising between himself and Lot and among the herdsmen, because they both had so much. Verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Abraham knew that he had a lot at stake based on how he handled this situation with Lot. I mean, for one thing, he risked a very important family relationship that could be damaged. And family relationships are important, aren't they? They're to be highly valued. They are to be protected. And second, Abraham risked the relationship with his herdsmen. I mean, constant quarreling with Lot's herdsmen for water and grass was bad for employee morale, as you might imagine. And having to search for those scarce resources that, that were so hard to find in the land just added stress to their jobs. Back then, just like today, good employee relations are to be valued. You'll remember that years later, when Abraham's descendants started their sojourn in the wilderness after escaping slavery in Egypt, 
that, that they too began to quarrel over scarce water. You'll remember the time that Moses got so fed up with the complaining Israelites that Moses complained to God and God told him, I'll provide water for them to drink out of this rock. And the people quarreled so much in that spot that they actually named that spot Meribah, which in Hebrew means quarrel. Can you imagine naming a spot after all the quarrel? Oh, hi, I live in Quarrel Township. Where do you live? <laughs> well, Abraham certainly valued his relationship with Lot. He valued Lot more than he did the land. Lot was Abraham's nephew, after all. And Abraham thought it was preferable to part company with Lot rather than be at odds with him. So Abraham stands down. He doesn't have to win the battle that is brewing. He takes the initiative to settle the strife between family members before it gets out of control. He magnanimously decides to give Lot the first choice. You know, part of learning to stand down comes from recognizing the value of people. That people matter more than possessions. I mean, we may get what we want at times, but in the process, we may lose a family member, a friend, or even a customer. And then what have we really gained? Thomas Watson, the founder of IBM, entered a meeting once where many of the company's problems were being categorized and discussed. And on the conference room table was a stack of papers which identified some of the biggest threats to IBM's future success. And after this discussion seemed to drag on and on and on, Watson finally walked over to the stack of papers and just pushed them off the table, swept them onto the floor. And he said, there aren't categories of problems here. There's only one problem. Some of us aren't paying enough attention to our customers. And he turned and he walked out of the room. People matter. And they matter more than possessions. Are there some things that you feel like you would have to give up if you were to give in? What might those be? Maybe you feel like you'd have to swallow your pride. But just imagine the pride you can take in preserving relationships with people that are important to you. Isn't that the kind of thing to really be proud of? Maybe you feel like you'd have to give up your dignity if you were to give in. But my friends, quarreling is not very dignified, is it? Abraham here maintains a high degree of dignity in the way he handles the problem between Lot and himself. Abraham chose family over finances. He chose generosity over greed. He chose wisdom over wealth. So let's see what happens next between Abraham and Lot. Verse 10. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zor was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly 
against the Lord. Lot chose the greener pastures, didn't he? I mean, literally, he chose the greener pastures. This lush and fertile land of the Jordan Valley just popped out at him. It got his attention. It grabbed him. It is compared with the Garden of the Lord, maybe a reference to Eden. It's compared with Egypt and the lush and fertile land there. There had been plenty of food and water there during the famine. Remember how Joseph stored up for seven years out of the bounty of the land to help the Israelites survive the, the famine that came later. And recall how the Israelites were always longing to go back to Egypt, to those flesh pots where they had food and meat and, uh, to eat and water to drink. Even though they'd been enslaved there for 400 years, they looked back like it was a great time. And so Lot makes the easy choice seemingly without any regard whatsoever for his uncle Abraham and what Abraham might need. Lot looks and he sees, chooses the greener pastures. He chooses the land that he thinks is going to make his life easier, food for his livestock, water for them to drink. But what he sees isn't the whole picture. Because we're told that, yes, the land was like a garden and it was fertile like Egypt but that that was what it was like before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And just like that, an ominous note is struck in this song. A dark splotch is painted across the tableau of green that is all Lot can see. What appears to be a better situation can, in the end, bring us great harm and so we have to guard against thinking that the grass is always greener on the other side. This can be a source of pain and frustration for us, and it can cause a lot of turmoil in our relationships. But Lot makes his choice, and he moves east, and he pitches his tent near Sodom. And a second sentence in the text about Sodom tells us that the people who live there are evil and sinning greatly against the Lord. And so what seems like the greener pastures to Lot are not going to turn out to be so in the end, as we find out if we read chapters 18 and 19. In fact, things go south for Lot almost immediately in chapter 14. I want to tell you a little story. In ancient times, there were small city-states that usually each had their own king. And these kings would often go out into battle amongst themselves. And sometimes they would band together so they'd be stronger together than they were by themselves. And there came a time in Genesis 14, we're told, when four city-states and their kings, who were from outside of the Jordan Valley region, banded together against five city-states and their kings from the Jordan Valley, where Lot had chosen to live. And included in the five city-states from the Jordan Valley were the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and their kings. And the five city-states were defeated by the four city-states. And for 12 years, they had to pay tribute to the four more powerful kings who had defeated them. Well, as you can probably imagine, these five city-states, the people there, got pretty sick of paying tribute for 12 years. And so they finally decided, we're going to rebel. The only problem was the weaker rebellious cities were crushed yet again. 
And all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, including all their food, was confiscated and taken away. And the people were taken away as captives, including Abraham's nephew, Lot. Well, one of the captives escaped, and he ran and found Abraham, who was living in the land of Canaan. And he told him, and Abraham took 318 of his own men, his own men which he had trained, and he marched about 100 miles north to the city of Dan. He attacked those marauders. He defeated them. He brought back Lot. He brought back all the other people and the possessions that they had taken. Lot had really chosen poorly. I mean, what appeared to him to be the best land turned out to be disastrous with war and captivity and sin and destruction. And yet through all of these things, Abraham stayed faithful to his nephew Lot. And he helped him in all the ways that he was able to help him with the help of God. So what happened to Abraham after Lot chose the Jordan Valley? Verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are, to the north and the south, to the east and the west, all the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. You see, God had a plan, and God had a place for Abraham. And Abraham trusted that God would provide, and so Abraham was able to rest in God's provision. God invited Abraham to lift up his eyes and look around at the land. Lot had done the same thing, hadn't he? But not at God's invitation, at his own accord, on his own accord, not at the invitation of God. Abraham just waited for God to give him the land that God wanted to give him. Lot just took the land that he wanted. And not only does God give Abraham the land that he had been promised, he also gives it to Abraham's offspring forever. And you have to know, at this time, there are no offspring. <laughs> Abraham is still childless in th at this part of the narrative. And yet God promises that Abraham's offspring will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. So God invites Abraham to go on a walk throughout the land, to see it all, to take it all in. And so Abraham goes and he pitches his tents near the great trees of Mamre in Hebron. That sounds beautiful to me. It sounds kind of idyllic. This is the same land that Abraham uses as a burial plot some years later for his beloved wife, Sarah. And Abraham is so moved in his love and worship of God that he builds an altar right then and there, right in the open air. Abraham believed God and the promises that God made to him and because he trusted God, he didn't have to strive to get the best land. He knew God would give it to him because God had promised it to him. And he didn't have to strive to get the best of Lot either 
He knew that God values family and relationships and that Abraham could follow God's desires and that he could value his relationship and his family more than possessions or land. Thus, Abraham was able to find contentment in God. As Christians, we have the ultimate provision from God. We don't have a piece of land. We have a person. God has given us his one and only son, Jesus. He came and he lived to show us and teach us God's ways. He showed us how to value relationships more than possessions. In fact, Jesus valued his relationship with us so much that he was willing to die on a cross for our sins so that our relationship with God that once had been severed by sin could be reconciled at the very moment we place our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. You don't have to get your way to solve a conflict. God has a better way. Stand down. Trust him. Look to Christ as your joy and find your contentment in him. Will you pray with me? Holy God, we give you thanks and praise for this gift of your word and the teaching from Abraham and Lot. Thank you, God, for showing us the, the way that we can um, maintain and restore, even reconcile relationships. Forgive us for those times when we have uh, not put relationships above possessions or above our own self-interest. Help us to learn from the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who willingly, humbly laid down everything for our sake. And help us do the same for others. Help us to lift high the name that is above every name, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And may our lives be a reflection of his life and draw all people to you. For we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.